G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. Look, in a nutshell, it's the publicity agency, full-service publicity. We work with a number of Christian artists. We've also worked with artists who are Christians and Christian record labels over the years. And as you say, we do produce uh, radio programs, and some of those have uh, been international as well as throughout Australia and New Zealand. And, of course, many of your radio programs have been regulars here on the Vision Radio Network over many years, and uh, people will remember what was called the Rock Across Australia. Uh, these days it has a different name. These days it's TCM, about today's Christian music. And, of course, those sorts of radio programs are wonderful pr- for promoting uh, Christian music in Australia. I think uh, they're uh, giving uh, people an opportunity to know what's going on in the sector, not only of Australian Christian music, but also what's happening internationally through Christian music, but through Australian eyes. Okay, Wes, let's talk about the foundations for what we want to be able to discuss today. We're talking about the evolution of Australian Christian music, and we want to talk about the health of the Christian music industry here in Australia. Let's uh, let our our imaginations, our uh, reminiscences run wild for a a few minutes. Uh, If we were actually talking about uh, the, uh, the major history of Christian music, we can go right back to the Bible, can't we? Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation from Psalm 95.1, verse 1. So there is a sense, isn't there? We we take our Christian music right back to scriptures. uh, I think you're absolutely right. And uh, these are the things that inspire the heart of Christian believers. I think they does it, you know, inspires us every day. And uh, you see in the Psalms of David, not just worship and glorifying God, but you also have the plea of the heart of, oh, heck, you know, what am I doing in this hole? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, uh, gee, I wish that Christian music would sometimes do a bit more of that. <laughs> well, it probably is the case that a lot of Christian music does do that, but whether it actually gets that radio play or whether those are the favourite songs that people remember from their favourite albums of uh, years gone by, that's probably the issue, isn't it? Because some, I guess, is quite sentimental and some is very reflective and some does uh, reflect that they're, you know, people go through hardships. I think that's absolutely right. And I think that the music which people remember most uh, is the music of worship and music of glorifying God, but also the music that you can tap your foot to. And all of the different genres of music come under this one banner, don't they? Christian music is such a broad spectrum. Look, I think Christian music, uh, Michael W. Smith has got this saying that it's the only musical genre which is defined by lyrics. Now, I have a, you know, okay, I get that on a superficial level, but I think it's broader than that because I think music just goes always to the heart of the matter. No matter what you're talking about, it's something that touches you. It touches your emotions. It um, gets you and it's able to articulate things which I guess many times we can't articulate 
if we were just having a conversation with someone. And there's this song which is able to, oh, gee, I wish I'd written that. Yeah. <laughs> or I wish I had that thought earlier. It's just able to, you know, get into our mind and our psyche in a way which uh, nothing else can. Now, let's talk about Christian music from the perspective. And uh, I have mentioned this a number of times in various conversations uh, over the years now. But when we talk about the Australian Christian music scene and the live music scene in general in Australia, the, the live music scene is dominated by the fact that there are musicians who are singing these wonderful, joyful noise uh, songs of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs in churches every weekend. The Christian church is a very vibrant live music scene in the nation. It's the largest part of the live music scene, purely because of that. There are, it gives so many people the opportunity to perform, gives people the opportunity to be trained, and for that, it's, there's more people involved in music and in attending church than going to all the uh, football codes combined of a weekend. And I want to mention too the fact that there are some pretty big Christian music festivals that are on these days, and I'm thinking of Easter Fest, but there are all sorts of uh, Christian music festivals that have been on over the years. That These have been well attended, and they've given light to uh, opportunity for people who are Christian musicians to get their, uh, their songs heard. I think Easterfest has probably been the largest of all of them over the years. Going back to the 1980s, there was a festival called New Song. Around that same time, we saw the birth of uh, Black Stump Music Festival in New South Wales in Appen. And then there's been various festivals like Strawberry over in uh, WA. Then there's been regional festivals in uh, Victoria. Of course, there's been Forest Edge. And uh, there are a number of people who are looking to do other sorts of festivals and events with Christian music in the coming year. Look, as we set up our conversation today, uh, there's so much influence that has come from Christian music, not only into the Christian music scene around the world and here in Australia, but to the general music uh, presentation of artists, whether they be secular or Christian, right throughout the ages. I think you're right. I think there's probably a sphere of Christian music which has got a line right through the church. Then there's another line of artists who are Christian artists who, you know, sing about God in, in churches, in pubs and bars and, and then other situations. And predominantly they might work in contemporary Christian music. We call that the CCM sector. Then you have another line of people who just go and do their job every day and they happen to be Christians and people that you may not even be aware that they have a Christian faith at all. And if we were talking about some of the biggest influences on music through history and taking uh, you know, perhaps history uh, over the past couple of thousand years, you can't ignore the classical music uh, influences that have come which have been founded in Christian understanding, Christian ideals, Christian principles and have that spirit of Christianity about them. The classical music is, you know, we, let's call it Western music because that's where we are, that has been the foundation of everything that we've done. Going back years, the, the, it, there was just modes, church modes, which are like church scales, which everybody was involved in. And, uh, you know, interestingly enough, 
the major scale of which most music, at least in Australia and in Christian music, is today, uh, was the forbidden scale, can you believe, of church music many years ago, because it uh, had a raised seventh in that. Oh, right. Okay, explain that more. I'm not uh, an expert when it comes to that sort of mechanical uh, side of the music. Explain that a little uh, a bit okay. further. There, there were all these uh, modes which we now called scales. And all the music was Aeolian modes, Ionian modes, and goodness knows how many. And depending on where you were, you wrote in these particular scales. And they're all written all going upwards. Uh, but you'd never have them falling because that was horrible in those okay. days. And you also had uh, types of music which were you had to sing at uh, octaves apart. And then there was this uh, new style of music which was at the fifth apart. And that was regarded as even a bit evil. And then very sexual or very, uh, what's the word, lascivious, so to speak, in those days of intervals of the third. And if you had that level of harmony, it just wouldn't do in the church. You know, that was for secular music. Okay. And you've got things today. You can't have a saxophone in, in Christian music because that has uh, avert sexuality to some people, you know? So we've moved a lot. So that scale um, that was, you weren't allowed to write in that if you were going to do Christian music or music for the church because it was the secular mode. Now it's the only scale that we use virtually that and, and one, of the, uh, one of the two minor scales. I had no idea it was so sophisticated. There is something, I guess, which you're getting at there and reflecting on, and that is the mood that music creates and a mood that can take you into worship or a mood that can take you into, as you say, uh, into some of these other more lascivious forms of uh, way that music can affect the way that uh, the environment that we're in, the mood that we have. Music impacts every part of our lives, and it changes moods. Like I put on music, uh, if, if I'm having a tense day, I'll put on music, and there's music which I go to just constantly because then I feel great after listening to it for about 15, 20 minutes. I think we all do. And then there are times where I'm going, heck, I'm, I'm really uh, very tense now. Um, I just need to chill out a little bit. And so I'm looking for songs perhaps in a minor key and things so I can relax a little bit of a slower tempo. It's, it, look, I think we do it con con consciously, but I think often we do it unconsciously as well. Well, I want to invite our listeners to be a part of our conversation today, Wes. We'll open our talkback lines. Here's the number to call if you'd like to participate in our conversation. There's plenty of things to comment on, uh, to reminisce about, even from the things that we've talked about so far. We're talking through issues of the evolution of Australian Christian music today. Your opportunity to reminisce, I mean, tell us who your favourite Christian artist may well have been over the previous decades, or you might go back right into uh, those classical uh, pieces we've been uh, reflecting on a little. Uh, you might have some thoughts on the value and the influence of Australian Christian music, and you might even have some speculation about the future of where the Australian Christian music industry is going. Uh, you can call us, the talkback line open on 1-800-880-876. That's 1-800-880-876. Coming back to the church being uh, the greatest live music venue in the nation, uh, Wes, uh, there is a sense 
that the church does sponsor the arts and Christian music these days. In in fact, it very for not that long ago, it wasn't doing anything with uh, sponsoring these level of the arts. I think you're absolutely right. Going back several hundred years, the church and also the courts of the various kings and uh, very worth, worthy uh, noblemen of the era sponsored Christian things, sponsored the arts, if you like. And as we've moved out of the 1960s into the 70s, we had this Jesus music revival, so to speak, and which literally changed what was going on. When I reflect that what was happening here in Australia in the 1960s and very early 70s, a lot of the Christian music that was happening in the church, to some extent, was church-sponsored, particularly in the larger metropolitan churches like St. James in Sydney or St. Stephen's in Sydney, St. James being an Anglican church or St. Stephen's being, at that time, a Presbyterian church. And that had these choirs and they were doing all this very serious classical music. And then... In America, we had this Jesus movement happening in the late 60s and early 70s, and where we saw music, really, I guess it started off with the Edwin Hawkins singers making their way onto the charts with a song called Oh Happy Day. And they were just a little church choir, and a radio station picked them up, and all of a sudden, here they go, all around the world doing remarkable things. And then that birthed this whole... A movement with, you know, there are Christian artists like uh, Lawrence Reynolds doing Jesus is a Soul Man. And then a lot of mainstream people who had no faith at all, you know, cotton onto it and they started running with it. And in the UK, they were doing stuff like the man from Nazareth. Then, of course, there was the Godspell uh, extravaganza. While a lot of people might, you know, diss that in some ways, Many of the songs were actually hymns that came out of the uh, uh, the equivalent of the Anglican Church in America, and uh, of course, most were passages out of Matthew. And of course, some of those musicals were quite, uh, you know, uh, uh, contentious. Yeah. The the uh, the idea of uh, Jesus Christ superstar. Not everybody thinks that was a wonderful uh, reflection of uh, a biblical uh, uh, picture of Christ, because I guess it doesn't actually show the resurrection at the end. But uh, but it's also contributed into bringing Jesus into uh, the modern mindset. People understanding music and and. Uh, it being available in a mass scale. I think you're absolutely right there. I think when things that come out of the church have got a particular view, and then things which come out of mass culture have just got a generalist view. And I don't have any problem with that per se. The similar thing happened recently, and there was a controversy around Noah, that, you know, they're, they're taking characters out of history, and then they're building a story around that. I don't really have a, a major issue with that as long as uh, we have the opportunity to talk what we know into uh, the the media and, and into the space of the marketplace. I guess you're absolutely right. And when it doesn't hit the mark precisely, when it comes to a absolute reflection of truth biblically, it does create opportunity for the conversation to continue and to come back to truth. We're inviting listeners to be a part of our conversation. one eight hundred eighty eight zero eighty seven six. If you'd like to contribute to today's discussion, we're talking about the evolution of Australia Australian Christian music. Let's take a call from Chris, who is in Ararat. Hello, Chris. Welcome to 2020. Good afternoon. 
Good afternoon to you, Chris. What's your contribution to our conversation today? Ah, well, I'm just thinking of a group. Um, I think they're Christians. It was long before I knew the Lord. Back in the must have been the late sixties. I was very young then. Sort of shows me age. <laughs> yep. um, Peter, Paul, and Mary. I was told they're Christians. I think one member of the group was, and uh, that was Noel Paul Stuckey. I wouldn't. Uh, I don't think the other two made any claim, but I could be wrong on that. But definitely Noel Paul Stuckey, who was part of it. He even uh, did a number of tours here in Australia and uh, made a number of uh, solo Christian records, which are still played in some Christian radio stations today. He's probably best known for the song, The Wedding Song, uh, which many people sang, including uh, Petula Clark back in the day. Ah. Oh, excellent. Chris, uh, one of your favourite outfits, were they, uh, Peter, Paul and Mary? Well, they were at the time. I was only about 10 years old at the time. And, of course, when you hear of uh, Paul Stuckey, uh, there are a lot of those Christian acts that had Christians who were either the lead singers or back uh, background or a part of the group. Uh, there'd be a bunch of, uh, of outfits that would fit that sort of genre, that sort of makeup, wouldn't they, Wes? Absolutely. And I think one of the things that has intrigued Chris is that Peter, Paul and Mary did songs about O Sinner Man and also did uh, Rock My Soul in the Bosom of Abraham, songs yeah, which yeah. the church adopted or was singing at that time, kind of in, in a similar way to what uh, Judith Durham and the Seekers were doing here in Australia. And there was this gospel music field that was happening, and uh, singing gospel music has never been an issue uh, in, main, in the world of mainstream music. It's just never been. If you're singing gospel, that's okay. Uh, the question is, if you're using music to, um, or Christian music to proselytize, then people uh, in the general marketplace, you know, start to get, you know, their backup, so to speak. But if you're just singing about God, no one has really uh, got too upset over the years. You know, right up to today with people like Mute Math and Switchfoot and um, Skillet, they're doing their stuff in a heavier rock style, of course, than what Peter, Paul and Mary and what the Seekers were doing. But it's still a similar approach. They're singing about God and no one's objecting too much. Well, Chris from Ararat, thanks for being part of 2020 today. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective, 2020. It's Neil Johnson with you on this Monday edition of 2020. Wes Jay is our guest this hour. He heads up Woodlands Media. We're talking about Christian music in Australian society, the evolution of Australian Christian music. Wes, when we think of uh, Australian Christian music, we're probably going to be bringing our conversation now into relatively modern times. But let's uh, get your thoughts. Uh, who has been, uh, perhaps if we restrict ourselves to this modern age of Christian music, uh, who's been the prime movers in Australian history when it comes to Christian music? I'm going to say that most of my clients. <laughs> <laughs> okay, not biased but at all. I'm not saying that in the sense of uh, to, to push them here, um, but I'd have to make that declaration right here. Yep. Um, I, I think you've got Hillsong Church has just been phenomenal. In, in its impact, not only in Australia, but around the world. It sort of follows our conversation of what we were saying uh, a little while ago, where the major churches of the 60s and the 70s were doing things in classical music. Then this pop music explosion happened. And then what was happening in Sydney, in Christian Life Centre, 
in Darlinghurst, there was this new music thing that was beginning to birth. And it was uh, impacting the whole life of church music in Sydney. And to some extent, it also came out of the Baptist church, where there was a lot of amazing artists uh, who were working at that time within the Baptist church in New South Wales. And that then started to impact the rest of the country. Uh, One of the artists down in uh, Victoria was the Proclaimers, and uh, they had chart success, again, with a, a cover of Oh Happy Day, which was the Edwin Orkin singers thing. And they appeared on various television shows doing their thing. In the 70s, of course, uh, Family and Robert Coleman, Chris Foley, Randall Waller, amazing stuff. But all of that was kind of like the precursor of setting up the Hillsongs and the C3s, the Darlene Checks, the Paul Colemans, uh, who incidentally is Robert Coleman's son. Alabaster Box, Roma Waterman, Nathan Tasker, Revive, Charmaine, Compliments of Gus, Brittany Cairns, Silver Cities, Simeon. And as I said, I have to declare that some of those have been my clients. <laughs> and let's reflect on some of those who have had really huge exposure and uh, thinking of the group family. Uh, this yeah. house runs on sunshine. This house runs on peace and love. Uh, these guys actually performed in the Sydney Opera House. They were, it was interesting time, 1973, 74, into probably the late 70s, where there was a lot of Christian concerts in the Sydney Opera House. Family were huge, you know, particularly in the eastern states of Australia, with the song that you mentioned. And also they did a cover of Michael Jackson's song called Hallelujah Day. And in various states of Australia, they got the best-selling version of that. Uh, which was fantastic. They also did uh, Light Up the Fire, which the UK group Parchment had done. And uh, that became a major hit record in Sydney as well. So they were significant. Yes, they did uh, things at the Opera House, but they also went out on tours with people like Bert Bacharach. And Bert Bacharach, who wrote, you know, songs like Alfie and uh, Do You Know the Way to San Jose and all that. So this was major work that was happening uh, in music and a Christian band was going out. And of course, during the day, they were doing the major venues in Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane with their concerts. And the Opera House was very much part of that. Uh, I remember seeing them at the Opera House. I also remember doing um, or seeing uh, Robert at the Opera House and seeing Evie perform there as well. Evie Tornquist. Yes, major work. Uh, Look, she became such a favourite personality, as I recall, back in the 1970s when the Christian Television Association uh, were running Evie spots uh, all over our TV screens. And uh, she had a wonderful song to step into the sunshine, as I recall. (laughs) And I've got a, uh, a sound grab of her, which, you know, I must give you a copy of one day, <laughs> where, look, so much of this uh, I observed and was part of. And she was at the airport saying goodbye after a very successful tour of Australia. And just as uh, she was going into the international area, uh, she got all the kids, of all, everyone who was um, going to see her off, and they all sang Step Into the Sunshine together. It is a wonderful moment. (laughs) (laughs) It really is so beautiful. And it's... uh... Um, I was put together by CYTA, Christian Youth Travel at the time, Mm. and they sponsored the tour. 
uh, it's kind of like that. Then you, then you've had uh, other people who were coming through at the time, like Keith Green and Andre Crouch, Love Song, Randy Stonehill, Barry Maguire, Second Chapter of Acts, Ken Namidema, Larry Norman, uh, Noel Stuckey. We mentioned uh, Don Francisco, Amy Grant, Petra, Michael W. Smith. It's kind of like a heyday, at least here. But while those individual artists were coming through that kind of like gave this impetus to what was happening in the church. And uh, Phil Pringle uh, often says about those early days that he wasn't too interested in having, you know, just the person who could play a little bit, get up and perform in church. What he wanted was the musicians in his church who'd been playing in the clubs the night before to go and lead worship in the music because it was of a particular standard. So what we had with all these international tours coming, we had many opportunities for local artists to get up and perform, and Robert Coleman was one of those. But he was already a star in his own right because he'd already performed at the level of doing major musicals, both in London and in Australia, like Irene, and performing with Julie Anthony. So there was this opportunity for Aussie artists to perform, which they didn't have before, but over the past 30 years, what we've seen is that the Australian artists have become the headliners, not only in Australia, but internationally, and the situation that occurred in the 70s and 80s and early 90s here has been totally reversed. It's Neil Johnson with you this Monday edition of 2020. We're talking through issues to do with Australian Christian music today. Our special guest is Wes Jay, who heads up Woodlands Media, one of the most influential people in the Australian Christian music scene. We've been talking about the history and focusing in on the recent history of uh, previous decades of Christian music here in Australia. Uh, let's get a, a bit of a snapshot now. Wes, when you think of the Australian Christian music industry today, we did say the church, the local church, uh, would be the biggest live music venue in the nation. It's uh, by by far, and uh, that, of course, is local churches and opportunities for Christian musicians. But when we think of those artists that are uh, working in a viable Christian ministry, earning a living from what they do, they're few and far between, aren't they? I think there's very few when I look at it across the country. Many people either have other jobs or they go and do touring for a season or they limit the work that they're doing to ministry of a weekend. There are very few who are able to do this seven days or five days a week unless one is working in a church environment and uh, receiving uh, at least some form of remuneration for what you do as a musical pastor. And we shouldn't discount that because a lot of more sizable churches actually do have uh, oftentimes a full-time worship pastor who is involved in the creation of uh, wonderful worship music and also the nurturing of young Christian musicians under them. And of course, many churches actually uh, produce their own uh, music, the CDs or uh, the way uh, people uh, get music today. Uh, That's happening in local churches. That has been a major shift, that what has come out of Hillsong, what has come out of C3, what has come out of Planet Shakers, and uh, newer churches doing music like Discovery Church at Mount Evelyn in uh, Melbourne, is, and for that matter, City Point in Brisbane, is that they are beginning to resource the church. 
I was talking to some musicians not so long ago. They were saying that the focus of what they do is their own church. And when it comes to putting together albums, it's kind of like they're the best of the best of the best that make it to the albums. And then it's that material that becomes a resource which they put into music books, they put into charts, which make available for not only their denomination, but everybody, the entire church, uh, to buy and use. And often they have been really thoughtful about, hey, you know, this little local church doesn't have a piano player. Okay, we'll put the piano part available so you can just uh, MIDI that in or you don't have a guitar part, or you don't have a bass player, we've got those recorded parts, which you can just add to what you're doing with your guitar in your church. So it provides a much fuller sound. So I think there's been a whole lot of uh, major thinking done about how to best resource the church. And that and those strategies have meant that people have been able to secure full-time employment within the sector. But then, you know, you've got... Where do you make your money, in inverted commas? It's not necessarily from CD sales or download sales. Where you make your income is from touring. And in other words, performance. That's where you make the most. Or if you've written a song that everybody knows or is starting to sing, then you'll make it from publishing. But you're not going to necessarily make it from direct sales. Uh, in terms of uh, your CDs and downloads. Wes, over the years, and talking about previous decades, we've had to rely on music entrepreneurs when it comes to Christian music. I guess what you're saying when we talk about the local church today, those music entrepreneurs are happening within local churches all around the country. But but over the years, there's been people, and I'll include you in that too, but uh, um, uh, personalities like David Smallbone, uh, who... Did a lot of groundwork in preparing all sorts of appreciation for Christian music over the years. He is a key figure in all this, and he was one of the first in this country to understand the business side. Another one was uh, Bob Goodfellow, who was an Anglican minister who started a record label called Genesis. What David did was start a record label and a management company called Rima Artists, and uh, out of the Rima Artists. Uh, you know, batch of artists. There were people like Rod Boucher. Uh, who else? Uh, there was Randall Waller, but he also made records. Uh, Randall also made records well, with Genesis Records. And so there was all these labels. And eventually Word here in Australia uh, became a, a mantle in the late 80s for getting people like Peter Shirley and Kathy Johnson and Steve Grace uh, giving them a platform. And Steve Grace became the first uh, locally produced CD uh, in Christian music in Australia. And But interestingly enough, Steve has not been able to survive on his CD sales. Again, he's been able to do that on the gifts and donations of Steve, which go through to Steve Grace's ministry and also on his performances in Australia and uh, around the rest, the rest of the world. So what are your thoughts, Wes, when it comes to the business of Christian music? Because, uh, as you say, you need a business brain. And uh, if we look back and uh, we looked at David Smallbone and you say he brought a business brain to the way we thought about Christian music, where is that business brain today and how do you develop that business brain? You go and do it and you start doing a, you've really If you're an artist today, you've really got to have a business plan to make this work. Look, can I give you a story? And this is not meant to be disparaging. Okay, sure. 
um, an artist uh, who is in Victoria came to me and said, look, Wes, I want to employ you uh, to get, promote my music. And I said, well, I'm really not sure, you know, that you've got broad appeal. Uh, I said, but tell me how many you think that you want to sell and I'll be able to come up with a budget for you. And he said, I want to sell 35,000 units. I want to go gold. And I thought, that is wonderful, but you know what? You're not going to sell 1,000. Gold is 35,000. He wasn't only going to sell that. I said, how many performances are you prepared to do? And he said, I think I'm prepared to do 50 this year. And I said, you know what? You're going to need to be performing in front of... AFL crowds every weekend in order for you to be able to achieve a result that might come even halfway close. You know, I'm I'm not putting him down by that, but what I'm saying is that if one is going to perform, you can think that you're going to do somewhere between 2 and maybe 10% of the people who attend your concert will buy your CD. If you're very good at what you do, you might sell 50%. But it's not about numbers in terms of, uh, it's not only about numbers that go to your gig or your church service that buy. Because I've been into places where there's been uh, 10, 20, maybe 30 people in the church service, and they have bought more CDs than somebody who's performed in going to a church of one on 2,000. <laughs> so you can never pick, you know, who's going to be the most generous on the day. So get a business plan and uh, employ someone who's got a business brain. Oh, that's a bit of a plug for you, I think, there, uh, Wes. And I think uh, I'll point people to, of course, uh, Woodlands Media, and we'll mention that at the end of our conversation today too. 2020 on Vision. It's Neil with you on 2020. We're talking through issues to do with the Australian Christian music scene today. Uh, We've been reflecting and having a great time talking about the evolution of Australian Christian music. Uh, There's still a little time if you'd like to contribute to our conversation. 1-800-880-876. Wes Jay from Woodlands Media is our guest. He's a publicist, uh, one of the Christian music industry's pillars. And we're talking through issues to do with Christian music. People who are Christians, part of local churches. And want to speculate a little about what might be coming in the future. Wes, uh, if you uh, could just uh, cast your gaze a little bit into the years to come. What sort of thoughts do you have about the direction for the Australian Christian music scene? It's performance, performance, performance. It's getting out there and making uh, a route for yourself where you can perform. You make a name for yourself. It creates some visibility so that what you can do is that you go into, um, when you call or your manager calls uh, different churches or organizations, that they know who you are when, when you call. That's the hardest thing. So it's kind of like the money that you're going to make is only when you perform. Of course, you know, if you write a huge hit song like Shout to the Lord, you're going to do okay because, you know, 30 million people are going to sing that around the world each week. So that might be something that you would be able to sustain a career on if that's what you wanted to do. But you've got to find that song, and that's literally a one in a two or three million song uh, to be able to, to write. And so maybe that's what you aspire to. But in order for you to 
you know, achieve that, you've still got to perform in front of people and people have got to know your music and they've got to come to know you and they've got to understand your ministry and they've got to appreciate what it is, the journey that you've gone. And you can only do that in performance. So it's performance-based. Radio comes into it to some extent because it plays a particular style of contemporary Christian music, which is useful for many artists. But there are a whole stream of artists who are doing very well and selling music and going out each week performing uh, who have not even been played much on radio. So radio is excellent if you're playing a particular style of music. If you're not, go out and perform. But literally is figure it out. How much it costs to stay in hotels? How much, for example, it's going to cost to fly everywhere? How much food are you going to need? And then can you actually do this? You know what? I don't know anyone who's involved in the sector, whether it's been in Easterfest or Hillsong, ourselves even, or any performer who hasn't counted the cost and figured out, what if there's nothing there? And for many, there's nothing there. And many people are going to lose a lot. Hmm. But for others, if they've got the passion and they have the skill and they're prepared to perform to small groups of people initially, then maybe they'll get the opportunity to perform in front of others. But there are a group of people in this country who are happy singing and performing regularly each weekend to 100 or 200 people, and that's all they need. And they've built their entire costing and their whole lifestyle built around that amount of money coming in. So it's not about money per se, but you do have to live. Because if you're going to serve God, you've got to have an income. And you know what I'd really love to see is that people who do have money not only give to this radio station, but also to find an artist to support and sponsor and to, uh, if you like, uh, where there's a shortfall, you make that up. You become their sponsor, an individual sponsor. And I think we've moved into that a little bit with crowdfunded projects, which I think are going to be large more and more. But I think when they become more and more, people are going to give less and less as well. So in through all this, I think artists have to really understand if there's a call from God to do this. And I think uh, they shouldn't uh, stay away from the call just because things are hard. I can tell you, when we started Woodlands Media, I said, oh, no, God, no way. There is nothing here. I've been in this before. But, and I, you know, it, I fought. I struggled with it because I knew well, I'm not living in uh, uh, palatial places. I do have a nice place and I do have a great view. But there are things that I've gone without. But I know every person who's involved in the sector, including those in the major churches, are going without in order to communicate their love of God to a broader group of people. Some of that's in church, some of that's in major festivals. Wes, reflect for me uh, for a moment on the idea of churches booking new musical acts, taking a risk uh, of, uh, of getting involved in the life of young musicians who are trying to get a foothold. And the idea, too, of, uh, of Christians being prepared to pay a, a box office ticket price to go along and see a, a new and perhaps not even well-known artist yet. Yeah, we are a bit scabby, aren't we? 
<laughs> we always want it all served up to us for free. But uh... oh, we do, and, and uh, you know, to some extent, we're uh, we're very rich in being able to go to church services where some of the best performers in the world uh, are performing and speaking each week. And that means that, oh, why would I go down and see somebody else down at the, the local cafe or down at the local festival hall or whatever? I think we've got very comfortable. But it's, I, I don't think it's the public's fault at all. I think it's we have to create a need uh, for people to want to go. And we also have to make sure that the shows that we put on are just that, that they're shows, that they're exciting. And uh, that's in sense of all the senses they're exciting, but at the same time that we actually come away from that gig having known God better. Wes, we're running out of time. Just reflect for me too on emerging new talent. Uh, is there a crop of young Australian Christian artists who are upcoming, who have some great potential to become uh, well-known and even viable acts, and even uh, uh, even uh, from the to, to the point of view of uh, that crossover into a secular popularity as well? And I think we've seen quite a number of those over the past three years on The Voice and on X Factor. The, the platform or the marketplace where many of these artists are getting their start today is in those television shows. And I applaud those television shows for doing that sort of thing. I'm thinking of people like Brittany Cairns, for example, who was in the first season of The Voice. And this year we had uh, Hayley Jensen, uh, who was uh, part of a group called Silver Cities. She got bumped pretty early in, in the lot. But there are other Christian artists, which I won't go into now, uh, who are all part of those television shows. And I think that is incredible experience that they get. But sadly for many, as soon as that show finishes, and in fact for those people who even win, is that they're too soon forgotten. Well, uh, there's some challenges there, isn't there? Once you know that there is a Christian artist performing on those programs, uh, vote for them. Well, Wes, it's been just a pleasure talking about an evolution of Australian Christian music. There's so much more we could talk about. I'll point people to woodlandsmedia.com. But Wes, Jay, great talking. Thank you so much for being with us today on 2020. Thoroughly enjoyed it and great questions. Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au.